Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. It's so good to see you and be with you this morning. But, you know, God is, is really the author of everything that we have. And standing before you, you are my brothers and my sisters. And so, as such, we are moving together. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. And um, if you would just stand in um, honor of the reading of the Word of God, um, I want to talk to you on a subject that I will give you the title in a couple minutes, but it comes from Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Hebrews 12, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 and 2. And when you're there, say amen. Amen. You're you're looking at the screen is what you're looking at. So it says, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. What I want to talk to you about this morning, I entitled... So you want to race. So you want to race. Turn to somebody next to you and say, so do you want to race? And then you may be seated. In the early 90s, when I still had some hair... I ran a 5K marathon. It, 5K is only 3.1 miles, okay? And it was at the lakefront, and um, I ran it with a, a good friend of mine. He asked me if I would, and um, I had done some running, but those little stinkers that plotted out that, that course, we started out down by the marina, and then... If you're all familiar with that area, you know, McKinley, Bradford Beach, you know the road that goes up to the water tower? Well, they had us run in that direction. And so, you know, when you get up on top after a while, you know, you're, you're not one of these super runners. You're a little tired. Well, then they had people up there with water, you know, how they give you water. And I'm thinking, oh, that's great. Here, I'll take some water. And then we ran around up there, and then we came down by the tennis courts, and um, I felt like I ran the Boston Marathon. That's what I felt like. And they had all sorts of wonderful goodies. They had fruits and snacks and things to drink, and that was overjoyed. But it wasn't a full-fledged marathon per se, but... It was, it was something that really stuck in my mind because then I, I realized that, you know, you got to get more in shape. You've got to run. And I learned some things through that, and 
it really is equated with your run or your race with God. And so this morning, I want to talk to you, all right? And I, I did talk to my church about this, but I want to talk to you about it, and I hope this makes some sense for you. And I just want to say this segue, Angela, your devotion today was amazing. For the fact that you two snuggle. <laughs> but more so, really, I, I, I mean this from the bottom of my heart because it ministered to me. If I could have a copy of that, I really would like a copy. And I want that couch. But anyway, <clears throat> I'm at home. Paul, Paul in his writings often liken the Christian life to running a race. To the Corinthians, he wrote, they that run in a race run all, but only one receives a prize, so run that you might obtain. To the Galatians, he wrote, you did run well, who did hinder you? And then the Philippians, he said, run, you have not run in vain, and then he declared that he pressed on towards the mark of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And then to his protege, a young pastor coming up, he wrote to Timothy, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. So listen, this is no surprise. To win a race, it is necessary to have, number one, discipline. Number two, determination. And number three, endurance. So, discipline, determination, and endurance. When Paul was on his way to an uncertain future in Jerusalem, knowing only that the bonds and imprisonment awaited him, he said to the elders of Ephesus, but none of these things move me Neither do I count my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy. With joy. The joy he was referring to was a victory. Amen? So what he was referring to, and you've got to understand, they always had a mental picture when they wrote. He had the backdrop of the Isthmian Games, which were the original Olympic Games, and they had races. So he's saying, with this in mind, seeing that you are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, thinking of this race. The reference that he's referring to goes back to the chapter 11. No chapters during that time. So let me read some of this because this is what he's referring to as far as being compassed about. He said this, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained the witness that he was righteous. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was found now because God had translated him. By faith, 
Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark. By faith, Abraham, I could keep going on and on and on with chapter 11. But these are the witnesses. But let's look at things today. By faith, brother and sister Tamil, who are no longer with us, built a church. By faith, the late brother Yance did incredible things as far as home missions were concerned. By faith, Billy Cole was used instrumentally by God to bring about such awareness of the gifts of the Spirit. But, okay, those are the people that have passed. By faith, moved with passion, Bishop Kylie and Sister Kylie brought a church into Oconomowoc. By faith, Cliff Matson, even though second generation, stood with God and kept moving. By faith, the Browns did incredible things with their lives. These are the witnesses that are around you. You've got to understand. So the thought here is that they're watching us run the race. But what are they? They're examples to us that we need to keep moving and stay in the race. We see the glories of their lives and we see the factors that brought them the victories. But we also see the obstacles. If we'll just talk to them, those that are around us, that they overcame to win. You've got to understand that. And then, as you consider, they laid aside every weight, every weight, and sometimes those things that so easily beset them. So, what would you think, what would you think if you were on the goal line, the start line of a race, and you were already all geared up for that race and somebody walked in. Now listen to this because in the very end, I'm going to give you a story. But if you saw somebody come with ankle weights and vest weights and they had on a helmet and they're getting ready for a marathon, what would you think? Two things. You're either superhuman and you are going to do incredible things, or you are nothing but a nut. Right? You're not going to make it. So in the very essence of the Olympic or the Isthmian Games, what they did was they stripped down to the bare essentials in the very beginning. Those of you that watch right now the Olympics when they have races, they wear the lightest equipment, don't they? Everything is wind resistance. The shoes are the lightest that you can. Why? Because they want to lay aside every weight and encumbrance. They don't want anything hindering them in this race. The Bible is very handy in helping each and every one of us to understand how we can get rid of things that hinder us from race and the things that would disqualify us from the race. 
Let me read some of them to you. First of all, Paul wrote to the Romans. In the 13th chapter, verses 11 through 14, he said this, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy, but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. These are things, when you really consider what Paul is saying, these are things that will hinder you from really winning. He said this to the Corinthians. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor infeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Bill Crowder, who is a writer and he's a minister, relayed this story and he gave this advice. He said, I was having lunch with a pastor friend when the discussion sadly turned to a mutual friend in ministry who had failed morally. As we grieved together over this fallen comrade, now out of ministry, I wondered aloud, I know anyone can be tempted and anyone can stumble, but he's a smart guy. How could he think he could get away with it? Without blinking, my friend responded, sin makes us stupid. Let it sink in. Sin makes us stupid. It was an abrupt statement intended to get my attention, and it worked. I have often thought of that statement in the ensuing years, and I continued to affirm the wisdom of those words. How else can you explain the actions of King David, a man after God's own heart, turned adulterer and murderer? Or the reckless choices of Samson? Or the public denials of Christ by Peter, the most public of Jesus' disciples? He goes on to say, we are flawed people who are vulnerable to temptation and to the foolishness of mind that can rationalize, somebody said this to me today, rationalize and justify almost any course of action if we try hard enough. If we are to have a measure of victory over the power of sin, it will come only as we lean on the strength and wisdom of Jesus Christ. As his grace strengthens our heart and mind, we can overcome our most worst inclination to make foolish choices. Are you hearing me? Sin does make us stupid. And these are the weights and the sins that can disqualify you from the race and keep you from even finishing 
and being victorious. We're living in a time when Jesus is coming. This is not the time to fool around and mess up. This is the time to love one another. This is the time to forgive one another. This is the time to encourage one another. This is the time to be the Christ-centered people that we're supposed to be, amen? Come on, let's clap onto him. Paul wrote this to the Colossians also. He said, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affections, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. In the which ye also walked, you also walked sometimes in the past when you lived in them. But now, but now, say now. now. You are, you also put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. These are the sins that so easily beset us that we must cast aside if we have any hope of winning the race. If anybody in here this morning is quick to anger, put it away. If you're fearful, put it away. Because perfect love, perfect love has settled into your life. He's here for each and every one of us. We are exhorted to run with patience that race that is set before us. How many of you are impatient people. I am. You know what's made us that way? We live in a world filled with microwaves, door dashes, huh? You can get what you want by just driving up. You got cell phones in your hands, quick communication. Gee, I remember when we used to have party lines. I remember when we used to have dial phones. Oh, God, help us bring them back. But there's no turning back. The Christian race, listen to me. The Christian race is not like a 100-yard dash. It's more like a marathon. Stephen Cole wrote this. Many years ago, a young woman who had a drug addiction found my name in the phone book and began calling me frequently. She was married with two small children, but she was hooked on drugs. She had no concept that normal people sleep at night. And so she would call at 2 a.m. For some, from some phone booth where she was stoned out of her mind. She professed to believe in Christ and said that she wanted to follow him, but she had no idea of what that meant or looked like. On one occasion when she was relatively sober, I described in detail what a daily walk with Christ looked like. 
I explained what a daily time in the word and prayer was like, what obedience to the Bible means, how to think like a Christian, so on. When I was done, I asked, have you ever done anything close to what I've just described? She said, yeah, I did that once for two weeks, but it didn't work. She thought that she had given it a fair try in two weeks. I explained to her that the Christian faith isn't a two-week sprint. It is a lifelong marathon. He goes on to say the Christian life is a lifelong grueling race that entails some long hills to climb and some swampy marshes to plod through. To make it to the end, you need self-discipline, To get into good shape, you will need to maintain your motivation. You will need sustained effort. No one enters a marathon with the thought of dropping out after a mile. Finishing well is everything. In this race, you are not competing with other believers. We're all on the same team. We're competing against the enemy of our souls who opposes God's kingdom and wants us to drop out. Come on, team Jesus. We're in this together. We're doing it. Why? Because there is a reward at the end. But sadly, there are those who start out with great bursts of speed. And we think surely they're going to win the race. But they soon drop out of the race. They're like the stony ground that Jesus talked about. You know that parable. It's a variation of the story of the tortoise and the hare. We must run. My dear friends, we must run with patience not only with ourselves, but with others. Paul wrote to the Romans about the day when we will stand before the judge's seat to be crowned and said this in Romans 2 and 7. To them who by patient countenance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. In chapter 6 of Hebrews, He said this in the 12th verse, that you be not slothful, or or in other words, lazy, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise. In chapter 10 of Hebrews, the 36th verse, he said, for ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. We've got to understand these things. We've got to really put them in place in our lives so that we can be the right type of Christian. Listen, I started this race in 1980. It's been 41 years, 41 years. And I can tell you, it gets sweeter and sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. And yeah, there are times where These spiritual lungs are gasping for air, but it's in those times that Jesus said, I'm here, 
I'll give you the oxygen that's needed. Amen? Are there any of you that can really identify with what I've said? If you can, can you stand to your feet and can you give the Lord a hand clap? Yeah! Yeah! Praise God. Praise God. You may be seated. Jesus commended the church of Ephesus in Revelation. And it was because they had borne and had patience and for his sake had labored and had not fainted. He said to the church of Philadelphia in Revelation, he said, because you have kept the word of my patience, I will also keep you from the hour of temptation that is coming to try those who dwell upon the earth. We must endure until we reach the goal. I, in those years, sorry to say I've seen many drop out. I think the bishop, Brother Kylie, can, can mirror my, we've seen some good ministers, some good friends drop out. Again, going back to the fact that sin does make you stupid. But we have got to keep moving. Hebrews 10, 38 says, now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back my soul, shall have no pleasure in him. He said in Matthew 10 and 22, and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Luke 9, 62, and Jesus said unto him, no man having put his hands to the plowshare and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And in John 8 and 31, then said Jesus unto those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. We have to keep on keeping on. We have to keep on. And if you see a brother or a sister that is staggering, come alongside them. Give them a cold cup of spiritual water. Encourage them through prayer. Tell them you're there for them. Tell them you love them. Tell them that they can make it. Paul, although, said this because he had friends. He wrote this in his last letter to Timothy. 2 Timothy 4 and 10, he said, For Demas, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. We have got to understand that this is very critical times that we live in. This is not a part of my notes, but listen, don't feed yourself with the news today. Stay off of your devices as far as that's concerned. Don't listen to the negative voices that are out there. Don't get into conversations that allow you to come one against another. Vax, unvask, mask, no mask. Who cares? One thing is for sure. 
He will never leave us nor forsake us, but he'll be with us always, even unto the end of this age. He said, if you call upon me, I will answer. The way to victory, the way to victory is looking unto Jesus, keeping your focus on the author and finisher of our faith. You've got to keep your focus on the goal. Jesus is the prime example of how God would have us to be and do. Who for the joy, listen, who for the joy that was set before him in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he prayed and he sweat great drops of blood. It's possible. It's called hermitidrosis. When you're under extreme pressure, the small capillaries will burst because of the pressure that's inside. Was he afraid of death? I don't think he was afraid of death, but he was afraid of all the sins that he was going to encounter. He took upon himself the sin of the world. That means you and me, the things that we did. He despised the cross and listen, I don't care what they show you. There was no loincloth to Jesus. They always crucified people completely naked to add to their shame. But he did not look at what he was gonna go through. He looked at what was gonna happen beyond it. He saw me, he saw all of you. He saw every person that would look at what he did and say, this is how much you loved me? Well, then I'll give my life and I'll start this race and I'll continue on with it. You have got to pat yourself on the back this morning. You're here, you could have been somewhere else, but you're here worshiping God, praising him, listening to the words, continuing on with the race. And I know that the race is not easy sometimes. It's like a cross-country race filled with so many obstacles. We sometimes get weary and tired. We might even think about dropping out. They say that preachers, every Monday it comes around and you want to quit. I've experienced that. That's when my wife says, knock it off. She's such a help. She's an ex-nurse. She retired. She has no pity on me when I'm sick. She says, I've seen much worse. There's nothing wrong with you. Get up. Help. But honey, don't you love me? Yeah, I love you. Just follow me. So you wives are very invaluable to us, your husbands. We need you. So you might get weary and you might feel like dropping him out, out. But think about that day you'll stand before God. Think about that day he looks at you and he's going to say those words, well done. Well done. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to it. Those brown Hasidic eyes. And he's going to look into my green eyes. And then he's going to tell me, well done. But hey, listen, listen. I'm coming to a close and to an end here. There's a phenomenon 
when you run. Some of you runners might know this. It's called the runner's high. After I did that 5K, we have a treadmill in my room, and I started running. And then in 2006, I had a heart attack, and because I had been running, um, you know, when you go for your um, cardiac care after that, they want you to get on a treadmill and a bike. Steve, you know what I'm talking about. Well, I got on the bike, and Angela, I'm like you. I keep moving. I, I, I don't like to, I don't like to just do one thing. So they put me on the treadmill, and after a couple of weeks, I started taking the treadmill up to a run. And they said, what are you doing? Because I got all these patches on me. What are you doing? Bring it down. And I said, I feel good. Well, you just had a heart attack. I know. So I kept doing that. Finally, she said, it's your life. And so I started running. And, and I kept running. And there is a point when you run that you have a release of endorphins. You know, I used to run five miles on my treadmill and then outside. And somewhere in the halfway mark, these endorphins hit you. you your legs feel weary and tired. But the endorphins hit you and all of a sudden, you have this burst. This burst that hits you. And your lungs seem to be more acclimated and you feel like you can go forever. And you just start cranking, 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 cranking. When you're in your race, you will get the runner's high. I promise you. When you come to church, man, there's a song at times that'll hit you and ha! Man, nothing bothers you. Or you'll pray a prayer when you're down and all of a sudden, boom, God hits you and Wow! All of a sudden that runner's high hits you and you feel like, man, I can run, over, run, run through a troop and leap over a wall. I think that's what they were talking about in Psalms. See, God is for you. Who? Who can be against you? Huh? When the enemy of your soul comes knocking, all you gotta say, hey, I'm running with Jesus. And it'll hit you right there and all of a sudden your spiritual legs will keep pumping and moving and you will be able to do what you think is quite like everything. But Paul said it this way in Philippians 4 and 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Are you with me this morning? told you I had a last illustration. The guy that comes to the starting line with ankle weights and maybe a, a jacket on that's heavy. You think he's going to win. Listen to this story as I close for you. And I want to tell you this when we close and this altar's open. If you have not started this race, here's how you start it. First of all, you repent. What is repentance? Repentance is nothing more than a 180 turn 
from the way that you were walking away from the Lord and you start walking in his direction. The next thing that you should do is part of the born again experience is be baptized by total immersion in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. He used the right word. It wasn't rontizo, which means to sprinkle, but baptizo, which means to immerse, to make fully wet. He knew what he was talking about in Jesus' name. And then he said, you'll be filled with the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking other tongues, as the Spirit gives you the utterance. I can't give it to you, but God will when you get on that starting line. He'll give it to you because he wants you to finish this race and he wants to be your guide. He wants to be the one that helps you go through things. If you've not done that, do it. Why delay? But if you are part of this right now, God wants to heal whatever you're feeling today. If you have ought in your heart, keep running. Shed it. If you have ought with a brother or sister, repair it. Get rid of that sin that does so easily beset you. Keep running with endurance and patience. Repair everything that you possibly can. If you've got infirmity in your body today, God wants to heal you. He wants to heal you if you'll only but believe. But hey, listen to this story. It's a grueling 543.7 mile endurance race from Sydney to Melbourne, Australia, the world's longest and toughest ultramarathon. In 1983, 150 world-class runners converged on Sydney for the event. On the day of the race, a toothless 61-year-old potato farmer and sheep herder named Cliff Young approached the registration table wearing overalls, galoshes over his work boots. At first, people thought he was there to watch the race, but to their surprise, Cliff Young declared his intention to run and requested a number. Cliff Young had grown up on a farm without the benefit of luxuries like horses and four-wheel drive vehicles. When the storms rolled in, Cliff headed out to round up 2,000 sheep over a 2,000-acre farm. Sometimes he had to run them two or three days to complete the roundup. The incredulous staff issued Cliff number 64. As he mingled with the other runners at the starting line, spectators couldn't believe their eyes. This must be a joke, some mused. When the gun went off, bystanders snickered at Cliff left behind in his galoshes and overalls as the other runners were sculptured with physiques and running gear that was light, briskly began to race. Snickers gave way to laughter when Cliff began to run, not like the other runners, but with what could only be described as a leisurely odd shuffle. All of Australia was riveted to the live telegast as they watched the scene unfold. Someone should stop that crazy old man before he kills himself. Five days, 15 hours, and four minutes later, Cliff Young came shuffling across the finish line in Melbourne, winning 
the ultra marathon. He didn't win by a few seconds or even a few minutes. The nearest runner was nine hours and 56 minutes behind. Here's the rest of the story. Australians were stunned at his remarkable yet seemingly impossible victory. How did it happen? Everyone knew that the only way to win the ultra marathon was to run for 18 hours, then stop and sleep for six. This routine was repeated for five punishing days, but no one told Cliff Young. He just shuffled along day and night, night and day, without stopping to sleep. Cliff broke the previous race record by nine hours and became overnight a national hero. Interestingly, professional runners began to study and experiment with the odd shuffle that Cliff used in his running. Many long-distance runners have since adopted what has come to be called the young shuffle due to its aerodynamic and energy efficiency. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Victory in your and my life, it's not a sprint, my dear friends. Maybe not even be called a run. Maybe it's the young shuffle. But if you want to win, if you want to win, stay in it. And you'll get food that you knew not where it came from, but it's heavenly. And God will take your special gifts and your talents and he will energize them and endow you so that not only you win the race, but you will reach out to others and you will help them to go across the finish line. Amen? Amen. Shall we stand? For the joy that was set before him, you and I are Jesus' joy. And this morning, Jesus wants to energize you in this race. Some of you have been shuffling along for a while. But let God give you the energy that you need as you come before him this morning. And man, if you need to, bring a comrade to the front. Pray for them. And let God do amazing things here this morning. But you have got to be a seeker of him because God wants you in the race. Will you bow your head? Father, we come before you. And Lord, as that next verse says in Hebrews, the third verse, consider him who endured such hostility of sinners against himself so that you, me, all of these will not grow weary and lose heart. We need to finish strong. So God, bless the lives that are here this morning. And God, I pray your energy would descend upon them. And God, they would know that they are worthy, worthy because you called them, you chose them, and ordained them.
I pray this along with these wonderful people in Jesus' name, amen. Can you come out of your seats and come down to the front? And let's pray. Pray that you finish well. Pray that the Lord really, really gives you what it is that you need in these moments, in this hour, because God is on your side. That's it. That's it. Come on, reach out this morning. Those of you that are filled with the Spirit, come on, let the tongues come forth. Start to pray unto Him. Your spirit begins to make intercession with groanings and utterings that cannot be understood. But there's a divine impartation that will take place as you begin to reach out. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.